Hello and welcome to IHBC at COP26. Conserving buildings and places conserves our planet. Today we're joined by Joanna Sadie. Joe is a chartered architect, has a master's of science in energy efficient building, and a postgraduate certification in conservation of the historic environment. She is also a full member of the Institute of Historic Building Conservation. Her firm, Ecotexture, delivers projects including house remodeling, large extensions retrofits, bespoke one-off house designs, master planning, and small estate planning, community projects, and commercial offices. She performs a range of design solutions in traditional, historic, and contemporary design. Well, welcome, Joe. Thank you for being with us today. Good afternoon, Michael. Well, I'd like to start by asking you uh, to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started and why you're passionate about sustainability and conservation. Okay, so um, first of all, I, I ought to have said this in the beginning, my name is Sadi, not, it's always such a difficult one to pronounce, S-A-A-D-Y. Um, so I, I originally um, went to art college, actually. I did a foundation course in art um, about 30 years ago. And during that, I saw um, Architecture at the Crossroads, which was a, a series that the BBC were running at the time. And I don't know if you may recall, uh, there was Prince Charles with his carbuncle extensions to the National Gallery. So sort of conservation architecture was very much in the news at the time. And I went on to study architecture at Plymouth. During the holidays, I was lucky enough to have work in a conservation architecture practice. So from the very start, I was very much aware of conservation, uh, particularly um, this was a countryside practice. We used to do a lot of timber framed buildings. And I absolutely adore timber frame buildings. You know, I've been on site where you literally can rack a chain around it as you're starting to rack it back up into the shape. They're very flexible. But as I went through my architecture training, I got more and more interested in, in sustainability. It was not something that was popular at the time. I was very much ridiculed at college, in fact, for being that way. Um, but my final project was um, combining heritage, finding old remains of a lime kiln, and building a building, a poetry exchange around it, using the heritage to inform the way the architecture formed. So then I went on, after I qualified as an, uh, an architect, I went on to do an MSc in energy efficient building. That was sort of like about 25 years ago. And that was sort of like, then I went into building my own practice, having children, getting married. And then around about three or four years ago, I realized that I wanted to get some formal qualifications to ratify my 30 year experience in the historic building environment and started the MSc in energy efficient building, not energy efficient building, sorry, conservation of the historic environment at Reading University with Henry. And, um, and as a result of that, I learned about the IHBC, which I'd not actually heard of before um, right. and subsequently took the extra sort of effort to fill in all the forms and and submit an application and, and became a full member in June. All right, very impressive. Sorry, sorry about the, the name pronunciation. Yes, yeah, sorry, I should have said that before. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk a little bit uh, about retrofit design. So, so just sort of starting at the top, um, what is a retrofit and what, what are you trying to achieve? So for, for me, I mean, obviously retrofit is, is something to lots of different people, but to me, a retrofit is ostensibly to improve the thermal performance of the building and enable you to reduce your reliance on fossil fuels or even become carbon neutral. Um, it's this, this, this fantastic kind of like chasing figure that you're looking for. Um, it, it's a bit nebulous, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's sort of 
I mean, do you see different styles of retrofit? I mean, I know there's a lot of different terms. I've come across deep retrofit, responsible retrofits, uh, <laughs> fabric first approach. You know, you know, what are these? What are these different terms sort of sort of mean or, or styles? Or do you have a particular style? Do you think, or is it just sort of dependent on the building and the project? Well, ostensibly, I've been retrofitting for quite a long time. So it's for me, it's, it's improving the energy efficiency of the building, which I learnt about in my MSc all that time ago. But um, retrofit varies completely from building to building. Obviously, um, I think there's a lot of great pressure at the moment, isn't there, to make our heritage buildings supposedly perform to um, to higher standards of consume less energy. But I actually don't think necessarily the information is correct about the energy they consume in the first place. So I think retrofit needs to be very much about the individual house. So if you've got a sort of 1960s cavity building, that's got obvious low hanging fruit, which is very different from, say, a, a solid wall construction. And um, I think it, perhaps a good example of retrofit is the very building where I am now which is a, a late Victorian cavity. And I have caused harm by filling the cavities, which have subsequently have taken out. So I think the style of retrofit, it has absolutely everything to do with the age of the building and the way, and also actually where it's, it's positioned in terms of the elements as well. Um, I would probably overall seek to achieve higher comfort levels with retrofit. Right. Okay. That's that. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good metric. Regarding historic buildings and and buildings with sort of heritage significance, how do you, how do you approach this sort of idea that you're changing bits of the building, um, but but conserving the significance as well? And and how do you go about sort of balancing those? So I would say that my views aren't the IHBC's views as well, which is no, that's a quite yeah. important. <laughs> Because I don't really think that there is much you can do to historic buildings that have got these features. Uh, retrofitting is going to destroy those features that give them that architectural or historical significance. And you, there's not really a lot you can do unless you got the best thing to do for, re for retrofit really is maintaining your building, making sure it's not leaking uh, and then possibly looking at the air tightness in those historic buildings. You know, when you've got internal features as well as external features, just make sure the existing fabric's working the way it was meant to work. Is it, that's, I mean, obviously if you've got like a flat ceiling, you can put insulation in that, but you need to be really, really, really careful of what you do in case you harm the building. Because there are things that I've done, you know, five, 10 years ago that I certainly wouldn't do now because you've just caused institutional condensation within the uh, structures. I don't know if you know what that is. That's when you insulate, you change the rate at which warm, moist air moves or enters into the building fabric. And if it cools down too quickly, which is called the dew point, it then causes a condensation which can cause rot. And it's not good for the health of the building either, or the health of the occupants. Right, absolutely. And so, and so that tends to happen on what we might call a traditional building or a building of traditional construction, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been estimated that around a third of the UK housing stock is, is of this sort of type. So I, I was going to ask you about that. Um, do you think the sort of some of the more common approaches these days don't take this into account or, or, or could handle it better? 
actually, I, I, to be honest with you, I think great, great advances have been made in the understanding of retrofit. Um, and there's certainly a resurgence towards uh, more natural materials now than there were a while ago. I mean, I don't know if you know, but it's literally only about 2% of our building products. The rest aren't. So, so I would always go for more natural breathing materials if you could, you know, lime parging before you maybe have an internal lining that also has a ventilated cavity between. So you're covering all bases of breathability. But with solid wall, that's for with solid wall. So when you say traditional, you're talking about solid walls, aren't you, rather than cavity walls? Yeah, I think that's a distinction I, I've seen. I mean, because it's it's just such a different approach and different sort of building pathology. Mm -hmm. and, and along those lines, you know, I wanted to ask, there's a lot of new materials out there. They're new, but they're they're more traditional or they're made of local materials, things like insulating lime, uh, wool, battens, these sorts of things. Do you use a lot of these sorts of products on, on your projects? I think I think a lot of the time we're reinventing the wheel, actually. A lot of these products have been around for a long time, but just nobody was using them and nobody was hearing them. I think in the deep green world, we all knew about them, but um, the heritage world was just anti-anything. Um, don't touch anything. They've only just recently started really taking it on board, haven't they? That that they need to start addressing the energy efficiency. Um, so, you know, wood fiber, all those kind of products. I think they've been around for a good sort of 40, 50 years. It's just that they're now in the news in a way that people didn't realize they were before. Okay. And so, and so you're seeing them used more often than on, on sort of retrofit projects? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you eventually think, I mean, Wattle and Daub is essentially like an old fashioned insulating material isn't it yeah <laughs> and 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 um i just wish more research was i mean i know there's been tons and tons of research and obviously in this lockdown there is just like so many webinars and so many seminars around now that it's it's quite difficult to not know where you're coming from in terms of you know where you should what you should do but um i think the basic premise is is, is that we've got these products they've been around for a while let's use them and stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Right, right. No, that's very interesting. So so how do you approach ventilation? Because a lot of traditional buildings will have had sort of passive ventilation and, and that can be quite energy intensive at times. So so through leakiness. You, yeah. I mean do you seal it all up and do mechanical ventilation or do you do a bit of a combination I, or I say I, I do, but I wouldn't do that in a in an old building. I just would not do that in an old building. So um, yes, I'm a massive advocate of passive house. Um, we follow passive house principles in the work that we do. And the whole, that's the whole basis is looking at the fabric first. And I still think that premise should be the way you look at old buildings as well. Um, I certainly think that- um, Okay, so can you, can you explain what a fabric first approach is? First, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to these these um these ways of saying. So basically, you know, everyone always wants to be energy efficient, and they think that putting a solar panel on is the way to be energy efficient, and it isn't. You have to look at the fabric of the building first. That's the much more cost-effective way of 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 redressing your energy usage in occupation. So looking at the air tightness is really critical in a modern building. I would certainly, I put mechanical ventilation and heat recovery. So you insulate well, you seal it really tightly, and then you artificially insulate, uh, um, artificially ventilate it with heat recovery. But that kind of air tightness in an old building can cause significant harm. And 
I actually I've done this in my own bedroom and I've I, it's it doesn't I had a leaky old window removed it put loads of insulation in and now it smells of damp and I know that's condensation so that's what you need to be really careful of so yes we do put in insulation uh, we do highly insulate but we do make sure that it's well ventilated at the same time the amount of insulation you can put in an old building is not the same that you can in a new building because again that build up of um of moisture control the build up of the wall basically you can't put loads of insulation in it just doesn't stack up yeah you'll it end doesn't up with work wet walls, it causes yeah. you problems yes now, I, what I've come across, a mitigating factor, perhaps, uh, you talk about the thermal mass of, of traditional walls. Can you talk about that yeah. a little bit and how you how you account for that? So the idea is, um, right, that, it, that these walls are very thick, they have a lot of material, and they can hold heat usually for better or worse. So they sort of uh, can help steady out the maybe the heat of the day and the cool of the night. But how do you go about calculating these things when you're, when you're doing a design, or, or do you? Uh, there are programs where you can you can take accounts. You know, we we um we thermally model our buildings, so um, that kind of the 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 nature of the wall buildup will be taken account of in those calculations. I'm a massive thermal mass fan personally. I just love it. I think you get a big thick wall. Make sure that you're not leaking air necessarily, and, um, and you've got yourself a really good building. So thermal mass is is just it's a crucial part of overheating and preparing for the future and for climate change um, because obviously it has the ability to regulate the temperatures so that you when it's hot it absorbs and then it, during the night it can absorb it can radiate the heat back into the space so um, it's invaluable absolutely invaluable great key part of, how, of the way I design actually I prefer the, I prefer masonry personally but I think if you're going to start talking about embodied energy, masonry's got much higher embodied energy levels than, say, timber frame. Right. So well, I was, I was going to ask. Yeah, no, it is. And I, was, I, I wanted to ask you about that, too. You know, we talk about carbon and embodied carbon. And, you know, do you have you started to use this looking at sort of repurposing materials or looking at at sort of the, the carbon costs of, of retrofits and versus, you know, the different case scenarios of a do-nothing approach, a retrofit approach, a different retrofit approach, perhaps? So I think in the past, when, um, say, like 10 or 15 years ago, when I was, you know, 20 years when I was just jumping for joy that the word sustainability was actually even appearing in our planning system, um, I was very much fixated on reducing energy use and consumption. Uh, and I didn't really care about embodied energy. So some of my one-off bespoke houses are have got huge embodied energy levels, um, even though they're zero carbon. And it's all about where the payback comes. Like, you know, you've paid back from that right. carbon. And I do I do think the heritage people, we say, oh, well, this it's got no it's got no carbon embodied energy because we've used all that, you know, in the occupation. And there is an argument for that. You know, you're not adding to the carbon are you with an old building but really what we need to be focusing on is energy use in consumption and i think that occupant behavior is actually a key way to reduce energy consumption for our heritage buildings and a lot of people are already doing that say when they live in large places they're reduced down to two or three rooms in the winter um, that has just as much um, 
I think I think that's just as pertinent as getting getting tied down with the embodied energy question, which isn't about energy use in, in occupation, which is what we need to address now. So along those lines, we talk about the performance gap a little bit. So you may the plan for gap. a particular outcome um, and then you go back and you perhaps have a different outcome. And a lot of times that can be because of installation, uh, maybe differences or defects, or maybe it's occupant behavior. So how do you, how do you go about trying to sort of minimize the performance well, gap? I, 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 remember, I remember when this, all these, this information came out with the performance gap and it all it all originates from um the sort of the the way we started calculating energy use wasn't it so we used to have code for sustainable homes um which took account of where our house was actually positioned so if you weren't near village shops you wouldn't get the points and that sort of thing um so and then we moved on to uh, well they, they were based on sap standard assessment procedure which in itself unfortunately is very flawed and very simplified oversimplified so uh, you know with the epc ratings they're often completely wrong actually they don't they don't necessarily correlate with the energy performance of the building so i think the energy gap is uh, the performance gap is all about the way people calculate it in the first place is wrong um, right. And that maybe that's actually what needs to be addressed. I, I do, I, I think builders, I've seen on sites, I'm seeing very different approaches from builders now than I was in the past. You know, they're much more aware of what needs to be done when you're fitting windows. There's wonderful expanding tapes that you can put around to stop air leakage, those sort of things. But I don't see how our current calculation um, procedures that we have will address that because you know, it's not in there yet, I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's almost not granular enough to capture some of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay, so so what about uh, what about occupants? You know, you mentioned how some people may be condensed down to only living in a few rooms over the winter or something. I mean, when you go about uh, a retrofit project, do you, do you talk quite a bit with the, with the occupants and, and maybe come up with different solutions based on how they use their space? I mean, is that I think the first, the most important thing I learned uh, was that you have to get a building retrofit ready, which will take about 25% of your budget. I have very rarely been approached just for doing a retrofit. Most people want to do an extension and invariably I find that the, ex the retrofit suffers as the cost of it. Individual retrofit just sadly if you know full full house retrofit just doesn't stack up financially if you are looking for the financial savings on those co2 savings if you see what i mean yeah yeah um so but I, often when i'm approached to do retrofit they're with people who are already living mindfully okay if okay sure sense. yeah so their occupant behavior is already quite you know they're not flying they're not doing the expensive holiday abroad they're not running the big flash cars, perhaps they're maybe or walking, they're cycling, those kind of occupant behavior things that a lot of people wouldn't be prepared to give those up. And they don't see that as part of the occupant behavior pattern. I, I'm talking as a real eco nut here. So I apologies to everyone who's listening who does enjoy those things, like new clothes, for instance, that sort of thing as well. I know we're, we're, you're trying to focus on occupant behaviors, turning down the thermostat, wearing thermals, you know, warm boots, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that sort of range. Be really careful with retrofit because you can damage the building. 
Well, do you see, I mean, a lot of, a lot of talk about how, you know, getting, you, you mentioned retrofit ready, you know, stopping leaks and getting the, the fabric to perform the way it's supposed to in the beginning. Yeah. Do you see, I mean, is there, are there good resources for saying, okay, here's some of the things you can do to, to get your way on the way to a retrofit or to, to help increase the efficiency of your building without going and, you know, like you mentioned, spending a load of money that you're not going to see a financial return on. Are there sort of these sort of low-hanging fruit in, in some of the more traditional older buildings? There are. There is low-hanging fruit. I don't have a method that I use to calculate that. Um, I'm sure there are methods. I mean, the Passive House Planning Pack, which is a hugely sophisticated and fantastic calculation method, takes account of you know just the reveals in in, in windows uh, for the for the effect that it has on the energy and the energy use of a building so um i just when i design or when i work that's the way i consider everything right so so people would probably come to you with a big project in mind i'm guessing they don't come to you for little bits here and there over the years not really i mean I think what you should do, you need to do is you need to look at buildings in terms of physics. So buildings, uh, if you imagine that you've got a goldfish bowl and it's full of water, but there's the holes in that goldfish bowl, the water will pour out. And heat is exactly like the same. We, so I've, I've, I visualize buildings as these kind of vessels. So if you see um, a concrete lintel over a window, that's creating a thermal bypass. So the heat is pouring out through that thermal bypass. And that's the way I look at every building. So if someone came to me and say, oh, here's my building, I would assess the building in terms of looking at where all the potential um, junctions might be that could cause problems that you could improve. You know, there are low hanging fruit, aren't there? Like insulating flat ceilings. I think I said that earlier. Yeah. Um, secondary glazing, you know, things like that. But there are also other things like shutters and curtains, thick carpets that can help a lot better and they're not usually taken account of in things like EPCs or programs. And what about offices? Does it sort of hold true? Because I know you do a bit of office design as well. Do you, do you find um, office clients are a little bit different or have different uh, objectives or is it easier or harder to, uh, <laughs> to do an office? Overheating is always the issue we get in, in offices. We have to, we end up having to provide solar shading across the windows because you, if you insulate Overheating is the major problem facing our modern buildings. You insulate really well, you seal them tight, and you get those incidental heat gains and you've not properly designed it so you've shaded the building. And that's what I found with offices because they like big windows. Um, you need to make sure that you consider the whole thing in occupation. Right, right. I imagine all the computing equipment uh, we have in a modern yes. office plays oh, into think, that quite yeah. a bit as well. Yeah. It really does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the hot air that comes from discussions in the office. <laughs> well, thank you, Joe. That was, that was a very stimulating conversation. I'd like to wrap up just by asking you, in your estimation, what does the future look like or should it look like in terms of sustainability and conservation of the built environment? Mm, that's quite a large question, that one, isn't it? To be honest with you, I'm quite scared about the future um, because CO2, you know, it's still rising. We're still consuming constantly. Um, and I I think our way of life is just geared towards that. Um, I think the heritage is actually really quite protected, really well protected. You know, we've got a lot of legislation in, in place that um, means that I think it's a lot easier to not do anything than to do something. So, I think 
that that is actually quite an issue for the future. I, I'm not, I'm not overly hopeful for the future. I'm afraid. Yeah, that's, that's rather bleak, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you can't give up hope, can you? I, 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 it is, it is fantastic that there are so many people who are now em, embracing sustainability, and I think there's there's huge amounts that can be done. But I think it has a lot to do with the fact that people need to want to do it.